Well, good morning, Union Chapel. How are we doing today? Doing all right. We got kazoos in the front row. Oh, goodness. I got a cheering squad. Okay, great. Uh, well, my name is Jeff Hughes, and I serve as Connections Pastor here, and so excited to have you guys with us. I just want to echo what you just heard in this video. Wow. Better decisions, fewer regrets. We're going to go on a journey for five weeks, and it's going to be great. You'll get the most out of it if you get in or start a small group. So I encourage you to do that. That would be a great thing. Just gather some friends. We'll resource you. But you can't wait until the day before uh, for us to be able to get the information to you. So make that decision. Stop by the Welcome Center and do that today. Well, we're going to conclude a three-week series called I'm In. I'm In. We've been looking at how we're all invited uh, into the family of God in week one. We looked at how we're invaluable to the work of God through the local church in week two. And today we'll talk about how we can be invested in the work that God is doing, both here at Union Chapel and really all over the world to make a difference. Somebody say, I'm invested. Let me hear you. I'm invested. All right. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. And go ahead and make your way there in your mobile device, the YouVersion Bible app, or your, your physical Bible. And then stand your feet, if you will. We're also going to look at Luke chapter 12, so you might uh, save a spot there as well. We'll begin with Matthew 6, 19, and then Luke 12, 16 to 21. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Good words. Now flip over to Luke. Luke 12, 16 to 21. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, this is in verse 20, God said to him, Fool. How many of you know it's not a good thing for God to call you a fool? Not, not at all. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now turn to somebody nearby and say, I don't want to be a fool. Now find somebody you didn't choose because they weren't your favorite and say, I want to be invested. All right, grab a seat if you will. Here's a key thought if you're taking notes this morning. It's this, you are invested in something. You are invested in something. You believe something. You're passionate about something. For example, if you buy season tickets to see your favorite sports team play, you become invested in that particular team. It might be 98 degrees outside, or it might be negative three outside, but you're not only there, you're cheering, and your face is painted, and you're acting like an idiot. Why? Because you're invested. Let's say that somebody invites you to attend a class about managing your money, and it's completely free. Well, because you're not invested, you may go and you may not go because you didn't pay anything for it. If, on the other hand, if you invest your money to go to a class about uh, financial growth and how to manage your money, you're going to squeeze all you can out of that class because you are invested. Let's say this. Let's say you've got an old junker, clunker car. I mean, this thing is just bad. And, and someone says, hey, can I eat in your car? 
dude, you can build a sandcastle in my car. I don't care. But if you have invested in a car, you got a nice new car, everything's vacuumed, everything's perfect, particularly if you have little ones, I got a four-year-old, right? You're wrapping them in plastic, you're putting them in their car seat, they're not touching anything, they're definitely not eating at all. Somebody says, hey, uh, can I eat in your car? You just invested in one? I said, dude, you can't even breathe in my car, not gonna have it. We're all invested in something. Now, I would say that you probably would agree with me so far. Let me take it a step further. Your investment and your heart are synced. Your investments and your heart will sync. They're they're interwoven. Your heart is synced with your investments and vice versa. We read in Matthew 6, 21, these words, which I want to read again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Likely you're probably okay with this so far. All right, let's keep going. You see, I think most of us see this connection, but the problem is this, that many of us, unfortunately, we invest in things that don't last. We invest in things that don't really matter for the long haul. And when you look at the words and the teachings of Jesus, he's very specific about this. In fact, he says, don't squander your life, don't waste your life, but invest your life in things that will matter. He says, don't store up. Uh, He doesn't want us to, to hoard what we have. He wants us to invest everything we have in places that make a difference, in places that matter. But he says, don't store up. Had a 95-year-old family member years ago in, in, uh, in Oklahoma, and her health was failing. She was 95, and she was in the hospital, and they moved her to a telemetry room on a telemetry floor in the hospital. And, and maybe you're not familiar with how this works. I know some of you are, but many of you probably are not. And what they do in a telemetry room is they, they, they hook up this, this device with patches to your chest and it's hooked up and it measures the rate of your heart and it measures uh, how things are functioning there to see if you have a good arrhythmia or if things are good or not. And this provides constant monitoring to those just right outside the ICU so they can check in on you and make sure things are okay. How many of you know that when you're in that area where they're monitoring and you hear beeps and buzzes and all that and people running, it's not a good thing, right? And so my family member was in this telemetry room for a while, and that's where I learned about telemetry. Didn't really know much about it. This was years ago. And so I just kind of filed that away. And as I was preparing this sermon, I got to this this part, and I was like, you know what? It's almost like this. It's almost like the position of our hands toward generosity, both with our finances and with our time, with our talent and with our treasure, just might be a spiritual telemetry room that reveal the condition of our heart and our closeness to God or lack thereof. And so I have a question for you this morning. Perhaps something that I may say or that the Lord may just drop right into your heart right there specifically for you because he does that. You might have a bell or a buzzer or something go off in your mind that says, you know what, that's for you. Because I believe that the condition of our hands related to generosity, they say a lot about the position of our heart, don't they? All right, let's dive into this a little bit more. You know, there's good news with this because you might find yourself in a situation where you would say, man, my heart is not good right now when it comes to generosity. My hands are not really open and stretched out, but they're, they're clenched and it's about more, 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 me, me, me. If that's you, I have some good news for you today because there is a cure to that. 
And the cure comes in our second point today, which is our God has created us to pour, not store. Our God has created us to pour, not store, to be a blessing to others instead of just storing up for ourselves. Jesus said it another time this way. He says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. In other words, we're created to pour, not store. Some in this room, you have realized this. You realize that there is just a phenomenal, phenomenal joy that comes when you give and when you're generous. But there's very few people who will say, I've I've got this really, really emotional spending story. I've got the most emotional spending story of all time. In fact, I wanted this thing really bad. I went in the store, I grabbed it, I put it on or I held it up and I I swiped the credit card and I wanted it so bad. I paid the 19% interest over several months and it just looked amazing. It was so awesome. No, we don't do that, do we? But instead there are these emotional stories of people giving. You know, we know that many of you here at Union Chapel, you gave for the first time in our Christmas offering this last year. Think about that. We, we had a Christmas offering as we do each year, and we said, we want to build a men's recovery home. And so many people gave who, who give on a regular basis, and some for the first time said, I'm going to give financially to this. Because we realized there was a need for a men's recovery home to help those who are, who are making transition from substance abuse, drugs, alcohol in our community right here. Something you may not know is this. We've announced this before, but maybe you weren't here or you were new. We have purchased a home in partnership with another church here in Muncie already. And we're, we're busy rehabbing this home. We're busy getting it ready during serve week. We sent a team there. They were working on walls, getting things ready inside and out because we're going to open a facility in Delaware County that will help men who need to recover from substance abuse. Isn't that a great thing? You see, those are the stories. Those are the stories, and and I can get emotional about that, and you can too, because when we live our life in the way that God has called us to live, not withholding, not clinging to and clenching our fists, but instead with open hands, God not only blesses us, but he uses us to bless other people. And that's an amazing thing when we live that life. And I know that, that many of you in this room have realized the joy that it is to make a difference in the life of someone else, to take something that God has entrusted you with and to, to give that, be it a resource or time or some ability that you have to make a difference. There's a thrill in that, isn't there? There's a deep satisfaction to know that, that where my blessings add up, someone else has a deficit and I can step into their life and I can say, let me help you with that. It might be a physical need. I have something they need and I don't need it. Bless them. It might be a financial need or so on. But there's a satisfaction in that, isn't there? I can look back over my life and I know you can look back over yours and you can realize that, man, God was in this because he used us to be a blessing, to bless somebody else. You know the reason that you felt joy? You know the reason that you felt good in that moment because you lived outside of yourself? It's because that's how God created us to live. God created us to live this way, but instead we we live what I like to call the when-then life. And I'm guilty of the when-then life at times, and the when-then life says this, when I have more, then I'll give more. 
when I have more margin, my schedule, in my time, then I'll serve in, in youth ministry, children's ministry. Then I'll, then I'll serve in some way to make a difference. When I'm all taken care of, I will then take care of them. When then, the problem is then never comes. Then never comes. It doesn't. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I've lived the when-then life, it's because of fear. It's because of fear or control or, or, or just not sure that I'll have enough. And, and I would imagine that you can relate to that as well because we've all lived the when-then life in a season, haven't we? But for me, I remember, I remember those moments where I've been able to serve and give and be a blessing to other people. And it's those moments remembering that I was created for those that inspire me to do those things again and even greater in the future. When, then. Friends, if you're in the room right now and you are living a when, then life, stop. It's not gonna get you to where God wants you to be. It will not get you to that place. I wanna tell you a story about a guy that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 12. What's interesting about this story is this guy was a rich farmer. He was a rich farmer. And, and something interesting about this is if he's a rich farmer, who made him rich? God did. God made him rich. Sure, there are principles about planting and harvesting that are important to know. But if a farmer is rich, God made him rich. He's planting seed in God's ground. God is watering it in many ways. God is growing up that crop. And then the farmer has a great harvest. So if a farmer's rich... God is the one who's made him rich. But the problem is this guy was a lot like us. He's a lot like you and me. So his crops grow up. He has a great harvest. He says, oh, what am I going to do? My barn is full. Oh, I know. I'll build an even bigger barn, even, even bigger place for me to store up and, and, and hoard and hold on to all of the things. I'm not going to pour it out. I'm going to store it up. God looked at him and he said these two words that I hope none of us ever hear. He said, you fool. Wow. Wonder what that's about. Well, let's dive into that a little bit more because uh, Jesus says to this guy, you're being short-sighted. You're, you're storing up when I've called you to pour out. And God says this. He says, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. Oh, okay. Well, what's that about? Jesus says, this is how it will be. And get this. For everyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. So hoarding, storing up, holding things to ourself, clenched fist, and not pouring out towards God. That was this man's life. Friends, just like he was, you and I, we are created to pour, not to store but to give of our time, of our, of our resources, of our abilities to surrender ourselves completely and fully. But so often we're driven by fear, aren't we? We're afraid. I've got to keep what I have. I've got to hold on to it. I've got to cling to it. It's mine. We learned that word very young in life, didn't we? Mine. For some of us, it was our first word. Not mama, not daddy, but mine, right? You learned it in the church nursery where you can hear people saying it right now. But we serve an abundant and generous God 
who is faithful to pour out his blessings upon us. You see, our God owns everything. Our God is great. He's so good to us. He loves his children. He longs to bless his children. And not only does he give us enough and more than enough, but our God gives us more than enough. So we will be a blessing to other people. You see, this is not a scarcity mindset. Oh, no. This is a mindset of abundance. This is a mindset of plenty. This is a a faith-filled, God-believing, God-honoring mindset. When we live with open hands and open hearts to what God wants to flow through us as a blessing to other people. There was actually an amazing woman who lived a very, very dark life. But she encountered the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. And she lived an abundant mindset. Pastor Glenn talked about this in week one of this series, I'm Invited. And I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It was on July 4th, so check it out. This woman was a prostitute, but she heard about the grace and the goodness and forgiveness and healing and acceptance and care that comes from Jesus Christ. And so she travels a long way to find Jesus, and she takes with her this small bottle. And in this small bottle was some perfume. That perfume cost her entire year's wage. Now, I want you for a moment to think about what your year's wage is. Think about that right now. Just put it in your mind. What is your year's wage? Everything that you make right here, you got a financial number right here in your head. For some of us, it's, it's smaller. For some, it's bigger. But you've got the number. Here it is. Now, transfer that number into some perfume and have it right here in your hands. You've got a full year's wage that is spent. You got a bottle of perfume. Because of the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the generosity that this woman had received. She goes, she finds Jesus, she barges in the room. I can kind of picture somebody at the door, hey, did you RSVP? Are you on the are you on the guest list? What's going on? She says, get out of my way. She goes to the feet of Jesus. She takes this bottle of perfume, which is worth a year's wage, and she dumps it out on Jesus' feet in a sacrificial gift, in an act of worship. Now, I take a little bit of liberty with this text in my mind, and and maybe you do this sometimes too, but I think this is all right. You see, think of a jar of honey. You've got it upside down, and there's a little bit of residue in there, and it's still just kind of coming out, but it's kind of stuck to the sides and all that. You see, I believe this woman kept this jar upside down, this little bottle of perfume at Jesus' feet until every single drop came out onto his feet. I don't think she spared one single drop because her act of generosity and sacrificial worship to him was amazing. I think in her mind, she's thinking, hey, if this guy is good enough to forgive me, to heal me, to give me grace, he's good enough to provide for me. And so she pours out in a situation when she could have stored up. How powerful is that? Well, there was another guy watching. His name is Judas. Yeah, that one. Judas, in case you don't know, is the guy who betrayed Jesus for a a small little bag of coins. And Judas had a a more, 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 a clenched fist, closed hands, pull it towards me, 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 mine, mine, mine. That's Judas. And Judas looks on and he says two words to this woman, stop it. The woman continued her gift because it was her sacrificial act of worship to pour out all of the perfume on Jesus' feet. 
In this moment, when Judas is saying, don't do that, we don't have enough to worship Jesus like that. Stop it. Jesus says, hey, wait a minute, cut it out. He says, what this woman has done is beautiful. And it will be told for generations to come, including July 28th or July 18th, whatever today is, 2021, Muncie, Indiana. This story will be told for generations to come of her goodness, of her sacrificial act of worship. So when they're saying, no, we don't have enough, stop it. Jesus is saying this story will be told for generations to come. Somebody say, I'm invested. God doesn't want us just to be one who looks on, but one that brings resources to God that he has trusted us with and gives them out to others. I want to share another story with you. This is an incredibly powerful story, but it's also a funny story from, from the Bible. And I don't know if you ever do this or not. I do, and it's, I want to give you permission. It's okay to read the Bible and go, they really messed up right there, and laugh. Or it's okay to read that and go, oh, they're going to get it. Just wait. And, and, and I want you to see what happens in this story. So this is in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And so let me give you some context for this first, because in your Bible, it'll say Jesus feeds the 5,000. But it was so much more than that. Because in, in this day, when they counted a group of people, inside, outside, whatever, unfortunately, they only counted the men. And so there were 5,000 men gathered on this hillside. But then, likely, there were women, there were children, and so scholars believe that there were fifteen to 20,000 people gathered on this outdoor opportunity where Jesus is preaching. Scholars also say this is one of Jesus' biggest audiences that he preached to. They also go on to say that it was one of his longest messages. It had around 93 points. Now, let me tell you this. If you were to gather with 20,000 people, first off, it wouldn't happen inside in that time or probably even today. You would start off early in the morning, right? I mean, it just makes sense because you don't want to be out in the afternoon, heat of the day. You don't want to be out in the sun. So you would start your preaching probably in the morning when it was cooler, if there was a shade tree, even better. But this text in Luke 9.12 starts off with these words, late in the afternoon. Can you get yourself there? You've been there all day, all morning, and late in the afternoon. Another translation says, as the day wore on. Can you feel that? Hopefully you're not experiencing it right now. As the day wore on, the 12, these are Jesus' volunteer staff, his disciples, his, his trusted ones. They come to him and they say, Jesus, send this crowd away so we can go to the surrounding villages and get something to eat. Find food and lodging because we're in this remote place. It's the only place we can get this many people. We're out in the middle of nowhere. And I'm visualizing a meeting that took place with the 12 before they went and talked to Jesus. Now, just go on a journey with me. I think it went something like this. I think John gathered a couple of the other guys, Matthew, Bart, they called him Bart, Thomas, come on. They figured they could coax Thomas, who was not the brightest one, to, to go stop Jesus' preaching and then so they could bail out and go get something to eat. So they, so they gather together. They're talking. They're like, hey, we got we to gotta eat. We got to go do something. You know, we're, we're bored. Let's just be honest. It's like the fourth service. We haven't even had a bathroom break yet. He's on point 93. It's good stuff, but come on. Uh, make it like a series, Jesus. All right, let's move on. 
So then, then uh, they get to this point where all of them decide, not one of them, but all of them go to talk to Jesus. And they go to Jesus and they say this, Jesus, man, listen, we love the sermon. Great stuff. Amazing. Like I've got like six pages of stone tablet notes. It's so good. You should write a book. It's amazing. Goes on and says, we love the story about the foolish builder. I mean, this is so good. But the people, oh, Jesus, the people, the people are hungry. They need a Snickers. They need something. Watch what Jesus does. Jesus says back to them, you go get them something to eat. What? We didn't pack the cooler for 20,000, Jesus. So he says, you go get them something to eat. And, and they're like, what are we going to do? They've got a scarcity mindset. Here's Jesus. He said, you go give them something to eat. The disciples answer, well, we've only got five loaves of bread and two fish. We've got like a Captain D's value meal. What do you want us to do, Jesus? Jesus says, take the food, give it to everyone. But before he does that, they have a scarcity mindset. They say, I don't have enough. We don't have enough. Don't have enough. And the scripture says this about what Jesus did. It says, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and he gave thanks. And then he gave them to the disciples to distribute. Now visualize this. Here's here's five loaves and two fish. I mean, it's not much. And it's put in baskets or holders or napkins or or, or an old T-shirt or whatever. And Thomas goes up to the first guy and he goes, hey, good news. We've got food, but take a very, very small bite. And so they go and all 20,000 people are fed. Now, the text says something really interesting as well. It says that after they had all received their full, they were all full. I mean, like buffet full, like all you can eat at your favorite buffet full. They were stuffed. Then there was stuff on the ground. So they were like crumbs. So a minute ago, we couldn't feed all the people, and now there's leftovers. So Jesus then tells the disciples to go gather what's left. He brings it up. Wouldn't you know it, but there are 12 baskets of leftovers, one for every disciple. So they take home a doggy bag. So first, there's not enough provision. They put it in God's hands. They feed 20,000 people, and then they all go home with lunch for a week. How cool is that? That's the God that we serve. But so often we live with a, how are we going to do that? How are we going to plant one more church? How are we going to start one more ministry? How are we going to open a men's recovery home? How are we going to do these things that God has for us? There's not enough. Nope. Mm -mm. We're going to resist that junk. That's a scarcity mindset. Because our God is a God who does miracles. Our God is a God who multiplies. Our God is a God that heals. Our God is powerful and he is generous and he is capable and he is able and he is willing and he does pour out his spirit and his blessings upon all of us. I want you to see what happened in this story, the the specific progression of the food. And I want you to think about your life. Think about your life. Jesus blessed it. The disciples gave it and God multiplied it. Now that's important. Grab that. Because it illustrates this principle, which is the third and final point of this message. It's this. What you keep is all you have 
but what you give, God multiplies. What you keep is all you have, but what you give, God multiplies. We've got to grab a hold of that. And I believe the disciples grabbed a hold of that in that moment. But if they had kept the five loaves and two fish, Jesus and a couple of the other guys would have eaten. And then about 20,000 would have starved. But instead, they put it into the hands of Jesus, and they fed, and then there were leftovers. You are created to be a funnel of blessing. A funnel of blessing. Can you, can you just picture what that looks like? That as, as resources, as time, talents, abilities come into your life to bless other people, and not just people within the walls of this church, but as folks are in need, sure, reach out, help them. But we're called to be a funnel of blessing to our community, to our state, to our world, to our nation, because how else will people know this God that we love and serve named Jesus if we hold on to it? If we store the knowledge of Jesus and don't don't pour that out for others to hear it, if we cling to the message of Jesus and, and hold on to it and don't have open hands giving it away to others, oh no, oh no. That's not the life that God wants us to live. God wants us to live this holy calling of realizing that God blesses, we give, and he multiplies. Let me give you a personal example. For me, this started when I realized years ago what a tithe is. Not a tie, but a tithe. And I want to take just two minutes to explain this because there there may be someone in the room here who needs to hear this, who who doesn't understand this. What is the tithe? Well, a tithe starts with the Hebrew word maser. And maser means tenth, one-tenth. And the Old Testament teaches us, and Jesus affirms the tithe in the New Testament very, very clearly when he says this, you should do justice, you should show mercy, and you should do what is taught. He says you should be obedient even in the tithe. So the tithe is when we return a portion, a tenth of what God trusts to us back to him through a spiritual act of worship. Now, he's not calling us to do what the the woman who had been healed and forgiven, he's not calling us to take a a whole year's wage and take it and give that that to him. That's not the tithe. The tithe is a tenth, and it comes from the Hebrew word maser. Malachi, in the Old Testament book, was correcting some things that were wrong with the people in this moment. He talked about their worship. He corrected it. He talked about their moral behavior, corrected it. He talked about the wrongful use of resources, and he brought a very strong correction. But he said this in Malachi 3.10, and I want you to get it. He said, bring the whole tithe, 10%, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. In the New Testament, we tend to believe that the local church is God's house. And today, and through all of our services here today, and all the other children's and kids' experiences, and everything that goes on here, people receive spiritual nourishment, and you're strengthened in a spiritual way as you gather here. But God's also called us to go out of here, to to take resources that are given here and use them beyond our walls. It's why we're building a recovery home and supporting Inside Out Blood and Fire, supporting all kinds of ministries around our city, the state, and the globe to make a difference. Because that's why God's called us to be here. It's a holy privilege. It's a holy calling. 
the opportunity when the local church meets the spiritual and physical needs of people who call that church their home and those who don't even know its name is such a holy honor. There are people gathering right now in churches all across the world that do not know that the dollar you gave to Union Chapel turned on the lights or bought the chair. And that's an opportunity that we have that is a holy privilege. But so many years ago, I, I looked at this, the idea of a tithe at 10%. It's like, man, gosh, it's the craziest thing that I've ever heard of. There's no way that I can do that. There's like no way. Like, that, there's an amount there. There it is. No way. To do that, I would have to like rearrange my whole life. To do that, I would like have to put God first. Yeah, that's the point. And I began to realize that tithing and giving, both of your finances and of your time and your abilities, is never about what we think it's about. You see, for the guy in this room right now that thinks, oh, there's pastor up there, one of the guys on the team, he's just talking about giving. Oh, church must need some money. We don't need your money. This is about your heart. This is about freedom. This is about an opportunity for us to live the holy spiritual calling that God gives us. And so for me, I'll just tell you, there was a time when I wasn't a tither and there's a clear day where the scales were taken off my eyes and I could see. And God has blessed me so much since that moment. And I, I just believe that being generous and having open hands is an amazing thing for us to do as individuals and as a church. So I'll ask you this. How's the spiritual condition of your heart? If you were hooked up to a spiritual telemetry machine right now, would bells and buzzers be dinging and going off like crazy saying, got a problem here, got an issue, got a problem. The spiritual condition of this guy's heart, not good. Because remember, we measure the spiritual condition of our heart in so many ways by the generosity and the position of our hands. Are they open? Are they outstretched to give? Are they clenched and closed and all after us? God has called us to be a church that will live with open hands under an open heaven, being people who will share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with those that do not know. And if that's news to you, welcome. Welcome aboard. In this series, you've heard that you're invited. You're invited to be a part of the family of God. You've heard that you're invaluable, that, that God needs you. God wants you. He wants you to be a part of the family of God, to plug in, to use your abilities, your gifts, your talents to God's work. You see, there are spiritual gifts inside you that the body of Christ needs to witness and see. And then today, you heard that you have an opportunity to be invested Friends, what you'll do with what you've heard over the last three weeks is really up to you. But you have an opportunity to be all in. I don't know if you ever see this on ESPN or any of those shows, the World Series of Poker, and the guy goes, I'm all in. He takes the chips and slides them all to the middle of the table, withholding nothing. Got a question today. Spiritually, are you all in or are you holding back? Are you keeping something, you know, just in case this whole spiritual thing doesn't work out? Or are you all in? I hope you'll be all in. God's called us to it, and it is an exciting journey. I want to invite you just to bow your head, close your eyes where you are for a moment of prayer. 
Father, I pray right now that we would be a church full of people who are invested in your work, pouring out blessings, not, not storing them up, but pouring them out to reveal the love and the goodness of your son, Jesus, and, and to make a difference all, all over the world. Those of you who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want to be even more invested, even more generous, seeing the needs and meeting them, being radically generous in my church and beyond. If you're a believer and you would say that describes where you are, will you just lift your hand up right here? Join those all over this weekend who've said, I want to be invested in a deeper, more meaningful way. Amazing, amazing. God, thank you for generous and faith-filled followers of Christ. God, I thank you for the emotional giving stories that will happen even today for those who would tithe, maybe even for the first time. They would tithe today at one of the giving boxes or when they go home, they would say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test God. I'm going to believe Malachi 3.10. I'm going to test God and I'm going to see if he'll do exactly what he says. What does he say? He says, I will pour out blessings of heaven upon you. Lord, thank you for those that want to be generous. And Lord, as we keep praying right now, I just think of those who are maybe in this room right now and and taking this step of of being more generous is hard for them because in their heart right now, they're separated from you, God. And God, thank you that you demonstrated generosity for us when you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And so if you're here today and you say, you know what, I... I struggle being generous because you know what? I don't actually know and I haven't really received and made Jesus Christ first in my life. God was generous enough to send his son Jesus into this earth to pay for my sin, but I've never said yes. I've been striving, I've been going, I've been going after it all on my own. But today, right now, I need to say yes, Jesus. I need to grab a hold of you and invite Jesus Christ into my life right now. If that's you, would you lift your hand all across this room and join those in all of our services who took this step today. Thank you. I see you guys right here in the front, right next to each other. Thank you guys. Bless you guys. Awesome. Couple more. Amazing. Church, I want us to join and lift our voices. I want us to repeat this prayer after me. There's nothing magical about this, but it's just a prayer of us surrendering our lives to Jesus. So every voice lift us up after me with those making this decision. Say, Heavenly Father, forgive all my sins. Jesus, save me. Change me. Make me new. I know I'm invited. I'm invaluable. And I'm invested to make a difference in your name and for your glory. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now church, can we just celebrate with those who made that commitment today? Stand your feet if you will. Let's stand to our feet and worship together.